Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast. It's May 8th, and I'm Kimberly Johnson in D.C. Today, my guest is author Lorraine Devin Wilkie. She was on the show last month along with Ann Werner, and we all talked about what it's like to be writing while female. Steph is going to be back next week, and Lorraine will be here in a moment. But first, I'd like to remind everyone, as I always do, Start Me Up as a listener-supported show, and we rely on patrons like you to keep us going. So please consider supporting the show for any dollar amount. That's one, three, five, ten, twenty-five. Just visit patreon.com slash startmeup. And don't forget, $5 gets you into uh, the End Another Thing segment, and Lorraine is going to be joining me today after the free show for that segment. And then also, occasionally, I feel like doing um, impromptu shows. So those are going to be bonus shows, and some of them will be free, but some of them are going to be for patrons only. Keep in mind, patrons only means a dollar and up. So if you subscribe to the show for a dollar you will get all of those uh, bonus shows that are for patrons only. Please consider doing that. We would really appreciate it. And then I also want to keep everybody up to date on where we are with the new computer situation because we're working on a better production value. Um, I I did learn how to use the PC. I currently have a Mac, and that's what I'm using right now. But I got that new PC thanks to everybody who helped with donations. And so... Bob Seska and I worked on the show uh, or work, worked on the new computer to make sure I understood what was going on, but there were some issues because there's another site that we're going to be using occasionally to record more than uh, two people. And it's just, there's other things that are required. So we're, I'm getting a mixer. That should come this week. And then I'm going to have to learn that. It shouldn't take too long, but um, I, I assume that we're going to be up to speed with the new computer and the new system sometime this month. And we will get back to doing those interview shows, whether it's just me and a guest or um, Stephanie and I and a guest. And then, so today we're going to be doing just a conversational show with Lorraine. But I just wanted to make sure that everybody kind of knows the difference where we have like a guest on when we're interviewing. That's kind of on hold because I want to make sure that there's no mistakes. And I actually found out yesterday that... um, other podcasters are having an issue with Skype, and that was the one that um, when we tried to have the feminist next door on, I don't know, there was just so many issues, and, and we couldn't do it. So I learned that, you know, I'm not alone. We're not alone. That's another reason I want to have a different setup, just in case Skype isn't working. So um, like I said, just hang in there. We're going to get this done, hopefully this month, and we'll have a new production value and a fresh start. <laughs> and that's when I'll also figure out different perks and stuff like that to offer. But I don't want to do that until um, we're all good to go. So anyway, that's it for, for all the, the computer stuff. I'd like to now welcome Lorraine. Hey, Lorraine. Hey there, Kimberly. I'm so happy that you're on the show. Thank you. Just, just flew in from Chicago quite oh, really? recently last night. Yeah. I was there wrapping up my month-long book launch tour. So uh, you got me just at the right time. You know, I, before we get into the main gist of everything, tell me a little bit. Of, I've never done a book tour. Tell me about it. And, it was, and the name of your book. The book is called The Alchemy of Noise. It's a novel. It published on uh, April 9th. It's a somewhat controversial story about an interracial couple in Chicago uh, sort of figuring out how to have a relationship in the midst of a lot of pushback from family and friends, but also and most predominantly uh, the police harassment that 
the male protagonist experiences on a fairly frequent basis, which is unfortunately a common event in uh, America. Mm-hmm. So it's it has some controversy just with the story. It also has controversy because I'm a white writer. White writer. <laughs> Say that ten times, Kimberly. Um, <laughs> Which was a big part of the conversations at the book events. And the book events were great. To tell, you know, I, I had six different events from started in Seattle, San Diego, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and a couple in Chicago. Wow. And the topics that, you know, was what was fascinating to me was that people wanted to talk less about your writer process and more about the issues of the book and the issues surrounding the topic hmm. of the book, which I thought was actually really great. Yeah. Um, I swear to God, there were several nights where I felt like we could have gone on for hours. And it really shows me that there is a there really is a hunger to have these conversations about the the sort of the the racial political climate of this country. And, you know, who gets to talk about it? Who doesn't? There's some people who think a white writer should not write a story that has black characters. Some people think that's ridiculous in on both sides of the racial divide. So mm-hmm. these are all the topics we discussed, as well as, you know, me standing there with book cookies selling my books. So it, <laughs> it was an interesting and, and really fascinating, amazing month. Um, so wow. kind of good to pop off of that into a political conversation, I think. Yeah, that's that. I mean, congratulations. Once again, I did read your book. And it's really, really good. And um I I'm proud of you and I'm I'm awed by you. You're you're a fantastic writer and I you know, you yeah. were on our uh women's round table, which I'm not sure we're gonna be able to do those. Hopefully we can because of the whole new um computer setup. But anyway. Yeah, sure. Um well, thank you. Those those are all very nice things to say. And <laughs> well, it's true. And, well, and it's it's fascinating to when I listened to you express yourself, because it was the first time I've ever heard you talk. Um, oh. I was really impressed. And actually, so was my mother. So just wanted to let oh. you know. Oh. oh, well, I, you know, I mean, there's mutual admiration, because I love how um, activist you are, both you and your mom. I love that you have absolutely no uh, fear in and stating your perspective and stating your positions and not being afraid of the pushback. And that's something that I admire because, you know, we all kind of, we, we all get the pushback. Those mm-hmm. of us who speak out, whether it's speak out against our books or our articles or just what we say on social media. And it's tough to find the way to, you know, respond to those things without losing your soul, without getting caught up in troll battles and still coming out every day and, and very candidly and, and, and and honestly pushing our viewpoints and i you know you do that really really well so Thank mutual you. information society <laughs> oh i can just feel the love <laughs> i can feel it kumbaya um well why don't we just jump right in and Great. talk about the news of the day which is trump's taxes yes you know yes. i want to just say that i'm i'm seeing a lot of people commenting that his base won't care and they're right but they're right. kind of like stopping at the Trump space. And the way I look at it is there were a number of independents and even Obama Democrats who thought that voting for, and I say air quote, successful businessman was going to inject some kind of new life into our democracy and, and fix all the things that uh, all the problems that we're facing. And so now the, and a lot of these people, like I said, are independents and independents aren't too fond of skating the system and and not paying taxes. So I'm curious, like, I don't give a shit what the MAGA crowd thinks, because they're going to let him do whatever he wants to do, and they won't care. But what are those people who were 
um, Democrats, like I said, Obama Democrats who were fed up with Obama for whatever reason, or the independents, what are they thinking now? I'm curious to know. I, I you know, I'm obviously I don't know that you know, but if you do, right. I don't. Um, you know, I, 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 the, I didn't have much time to get in reading this morning about what was going on. But the one, the one thing that just stood out in my mind when I saw this was, and I put put a tweet up about it. As I said, if you listed all the corruption, the malfeasance. The criminality a list made a list of everything right up to his taxes of of Trump and his uh, cabal. And you didn't have any names or party attached to it. You just said, here, we're doing a survey. Here are all these things these people did. What is your response to that? Mm-hmm. I honestly believe that most people, if they were being truly honest, would be absolutely horrified mm-hmm. and would want to yeah. see those people in prison. But the fact that we have this sort of I really believe it's cult mentality. I I, I honestly believe this is absolute cult mentality where no matter what is said, no matter what is revealed, no matter what is done, the cult will just say, well, Mm. yeah, but and they've got their party line. They've got their talking points. I was in a cult. I know the gig. And it, it it's it's a it's a very odd, closed minded, indoctrinated, brainwashed way of looking at anything, whether yeah. it's the person, whether it's what the person does. So, I mean, that's sort of the thing that really upsets me is that what is it that has to happen for that crowd, whether it's the independents who voted for him or Republicans who voted for him or Bernie people who voted for mm-hmm. him? What is it going to take for them to go to tip? Where's the tipping point? I, d- I don't I, know that there is one. And I think the tipping point is them getting deprogrammed. You know, well, I've yeah. You know, I was in uh, a cult for like 10 years when I was younger and and uh, tons of friends and people that I became very close to at that time over the decades that followed and left, left that cult. And we talk now about that time as if it was the fog of war. You know, Mm -hmm. we we can't believe the things we believed. We can't believe the things that we bought. Mm -hmm. We can't believe the things that we proselytized. But that's what you do. And I have a feeling this will happen with many of the people who, and maybe for some of them it is already happening, where they look back and they go, what was I thinking? What? Yeah. How could I have been so wrong about this person and what he was going to do? I just don't know how long it's going to take. I honestly don't know. You know, And, and there's some pride there, right? <laughs> it's, it's hard to admit you got something really wrong. Right. There's a lot ego attached to it. There's a lot of political capital attached to it. You don't want to just come out and say, wow. I really fucked that up. That was a stupid <laughs> joke made. It takes maturity, and I don't think there's a lot of uh, civic maturity going on right now. No, in did, any did, arena. Have you ever seen the movie uh, "The Brainwashing of My Dad"? No. It's a fascinating um, portrait of this woman whose father used to be a liberal, and then he started listening to the toxic news radio, which is possibly the worst i think even worse than fox news but of course he got on to fox news as well and he was brainwashed by that right-wing um cult basically and so as you're as you're saying um and what wound up happening and it's such an interesting documentary spoiler but it doesn't matter that it's a spoiler because it's interesting to watch no matter whether you know the outcome or not but um, what wound up happening was she started feeding her father regular news, whether it was, you know, the New York Times, the Washington Post, even Wall Street Journal, uh, take out the opinion, just the straight right. news. Sure. Um, and eventually he came back. He was right. deprogrammed, but it took the real news and it took, um, you know, taking away 
that Fox News channel and taking away the toxic radio for him to kind of finally open his eyes. So that's what would have to happen. I well, think. and you look at, you know, I just watched, not just, like a couple months ago, I watched the new documentary about Jim Jones. And for anyone who doesn't know, which I'm sure everyone listening to your podcast knows, Jim Jones was a, a quote, religious leader who started this, what was it called? The, I, can't I can't remember. remember. I can't remember the name of the, of the church or the religion. Yeah. You know, but he moved everybody down to Guyana and built this, this jungle community. And 900 of them all ended up killing themselves at his right. demand at his command Mm -hmm. and the ones that survived the ones that got away are the family members of those people but especially the ones who were there who went who were behind him and believed in him and you know and 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 you watch that transition through the documentary you watch them being so supportive of him and so believing of him and then slowly start to see this insanity and corruption and violent and and then by the end of it you know now it's contemporary times and they're talking about it as I was mentioning earlier with the, like, what was that? You know, what, and here people died, you know, mm-hmm. children, young people, mothers, fathers, you wow. know, they died at the command of a insane cult leader, but, and sure you can say, well, that's extreme, but the, the anatomy of it, right. Yeah. The, 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 the anatomy of how people get caught up in this kind of thinking, you could, you know, superimpose that onto Nazi Germany or, you know, lots of different things in history where people went into something thinking, this is a good thing. This is <laughs> right. Look, he's a businessman. He, he know, and look at him. He's sassy and he's not going to kiss ass to convention and, you know, blah, 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 whatever the reasons that yeah. were stated by a lot of people who voted for this guy. They can't, unless they're being dishonest with themselves, they cannot look at this and watch this and go, oh, I'm still for this guy. Yeah. You know, and, and if they do, and many of them do, mm-hmm. it's because they're too invested. They're yeah, too they're in- too invested. And I honestly think that, I mean, I have some um, Trump supporters in my family. And while some of these people, I mean, I love these people. I may not really like them very much, but I but- love them. And I can't help but try to psychoanalyze. And, and I just like to say that I was an actor for many, many years. And I studied the Meisner technique, which is uh, a very I'm going to be brief in this description. But basically, it's it's awareness of your own feelings and awareness of your uh, the, the person that you're acting with, you have to understand their psychological point of view so that you can understand your own. And so while I I do not have a degree in psychology, and I'm not a doctor, um, being an actress for so many years and studying people, I do think that, um, you know, uh, when I when I look at a Trump voter, so many of them are angry. And this particular family member I know, carries a certain amount of resentment. And so I, I think that um, the resentment that this person feels, and I don't want to give away their identity, but um, I think there's disappointment in their own life, and then they have resentment, and then they transfer all of that over into politics because they're not willing to face what they don't want to face in their personal lives. So instead of being personally responsible and taking care of what's bothering you, um, you know, you, and you're angry about it, you transfer it to those, you know, those liberals who are ruining everything. Right. You know, well, and, and I, I think I, that's what it is. Well, I think that's a real strong component. And then you add into that. And this is something that I used to write a lot about when I was writing tons of politics um, over the last few years, is the 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 uh, miseducation mm-hmm. of the American mm-hmm. voter, right? Yeah. So you've, 
you've got uh, conservative voters or, you know, and not necessarily wealthy ones, just, you know, they're more right wing, they're Republican, they're conservative, and they have been educated mm -hmm. with quotes around it to believe that, you know, all, you know, like I had a, a neighbor, lovely woman, older woman, she was very much a Republican, and she really had that thing about, you know, we had to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and take yeah. care of stuff and look at all these people just feeding off the government and expecting the government to take care of them but what's missing in that equation is the absolute uh inaccurate information about who is feeding most off the government exactly <laughs> you know, even something like you know the welfare system yeah. is predominantly being utilized by poor white people yeah not people of color, not immigrants, but poor white people. Who are the people that are, are you know, uh, getting government assistance for all sorts of things? It's not only white people who are poor, but it's white people who have farms, white people yeah. who have, this. you know, there's so much subsidizing of all sorts of things that are being paid for by the government that are supported by Republicans that when you get into this whole, you know, self-reliance and mm -hmm. blah, 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 what we're really talking about is the, is rich people want a government that protects their wealth and they don't really care about what's happening to anybody else. So when somebody comes out like this week and goes, oh, look at the economy. Oh, my mm -hmm. God, it's fabulous. It's wonderful. Huzzah, Trump. And it's like <laughs> at the expense of everything else that matters to yeah. the American uh, idealism, everything else. So great. So we've got a Baron robber who's, you know, making his rich buddies rich, but at what expense? And yet you've got all these people who are sitting there believing lies about mm -hmm. who's tapping into government resources, who's taking advantage of the government. And they're so miseducated. And it's very, very hard to break through that because yeah. they don't want to hear that. They don't want, you know, how many times can you write, uh, we don't need a Muslim ban or we don't need a wall because the perpetrators of the most crimes in America are white men with guns. You know, right. we don't want to hear that because that doesn't fit the agenda of fear of other, hate of other. Let's keep this white. Mm -hmm. let's, let's keep our white majority. Let's keep, you know, make America great again equals, you know, white, leave it to beaver, conservative think, you know. And how do you break through that if people won't allow themselves to be educated? Yeah. You know, that's... That's the conundrum. And I don't know the answer to that because you and I have both written, you know, over the years, giving detailed, <laughs> ported, footnoted information and people just reject it. They don't want to hear it because it doesn't fit the cult agenda. Yeah. And well, I mean, I think part of part of it is, um, I mean, there will always be a certain segment of the population that's going to choose to be misinformed and and choose to hang on to their anger or resentment or whatever it is. And, and the goal would be to reduce that number. Um, right. I think part of that would be if if Democrats, you know, one of the things I saw, and I it was Chris Matthews, and I've said this a couple of times, but Chris Matthews isn't my favorite, but he's on while I'm making dinner. And so he made a point a couple, last week that um, Democrats who are running for president are not and should be educating the population on the accomplishments of Democrats in the past. You know, we brought you Social Security or, you know, Every time that a Democrat is, is running the country, the economy thrives or, uh, you know, whether it's Medicare, the Affordable Care Act, whatever, we should be educating the public, the presidential candidates. I, I think all of the Democrats should be doing it, educating right. the public on, on what has benefited them because of Democrats. Um, and then I think that when if and when we can 
get a majority back. We need to fund education because Republicans continually cut funding for education and that funding never gets replaced. And right. so, you know, I went to the to California school system, public California school systems, and I also went to Maryland public school systems up until I guess up until third grade, I was in Maryland, moved to California, moved back to Maryland briefly um, for a half a year. And that was in the sixth grade. And I really noticed a difference. Unfortunately, the California public school system that uh, and I went to many schools, I didn't just go to one, my mom uh, liked to move around. So I went to school in um, Torrance, California, in Laurel Canyon, in Brentwood. Um, I went to school in Silver Lake. So I I, I was in many different kinds of um, school districts. And while my education wasn't terrible, I could sit here all day and list how it failed me. And, and all the other students. I mean, you know, I, there's one quick story that I'll tell that um, I was just terrible in the 10th grade. I, I was in Torrance, California, and I had gone to this school that was very, um, how can I say, a lot. It was almost like a fashion show. And there were all kinds of, it, it, was, it was 1984. So that's when like Michael Jackson and Madonna and Prince right. and all these, um, you know, pop, pop culture icons were emerging. And so each one of them had this had their own, you know, way of dressing. And so people in my school were getting crazy haircuts and, you know, like Cindy Lauper haircuts. And, and there was the mod crowd and the new wave crowd and the heavy metal crowd. And so everybody was kind of in costumes. And in right. my life, I'd never, and I've been to many schools and I had never seen, I'd never seen a popularity crowd like the one I had seen. And I became obsessed with, become, with like getting into that crowd. And right. so much so that I failed three classes. I failed science, math, and French. And, um, you know, that that's all on me. Uh, all I cared about in 10th grade was hanging out with the popular crowd. So the result was instead of making up those classes in summer school, which I should have been forced to do, um, the, pre- the following year, I went to something called SCROC, which is Southern California Regional Occupational Center. And so, it's, like I said, instead of doing classes over and learning what I should have learned, I, I go to this SCROC thing and you pick out of all these subjects and categories what you want to do. So I picked retail. So this meant that every day I went to 11th grade up until lunch. So I went to four, I went to four different classes and then we broke for lunch and then there were usually two classes following lunch. So instead of going to those two classes for four days out of the week, Monday through Thursday, I was bused to the mall and I worked at places like Sears and the limited and I would do work like literally I would take a sponge and clean the dressing room floors and pick up hair and lint uh, and I would uh, fold sweaters and I would do all this. Re- I was basically sounds like, like catering. The- sounds like my catering career. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, it was. Un- and so four days out of the week, I, I missed those two classes because I was bust into Scrock. And then on Friday, Scrock was closed. So after fourth period, I just went home while all the other kids were in class. Yeah, that sounds like a real helpful system. That was totally stupid. So, you know, and then when I was um, briefly, when I went back to Maryland, when I was in sixth grade, you know, and I've said this before, I think on the show, but in the California school system, I was learning at, in sixth grade, I was learning basic addition. And then I went back to a school district in Maryland 
and they were working on reciprocals and I felt like they were speaking a different language. So, you know, this is all a point to say that we need to improve our education from coast to coast, um, our educational system. And I think when we, you know, I mean, I, I didn't know about women's suffrage. If we learned about it, maybe it was a paragraph or two, but it was certainly something I would have been interested in. Because right. I've always been a big mouth feminist, always. And so understanding that Alice Paul um, fought so hard and went to jail so that I could vote, I know I would have been interested in that. And I have no recollection of that whatsoever. So, um, I mean, some of that's on me. But still, I, I still blame um, the California school system for not being more proactive in education. Well, I think because it's it's a very unwieldy system. My son went to all public schools in California. And we had to look really hard to find magnet schools and schools that were responsible and more and more open-minded and more progressive to make sure he did get a good education. Because there's a, there is that thing of where when you're in the public school system that's being funded by taxpayers, there's this panoply of people you've got to please, right? Mm-hmm. You can't have too much of this thing or this crowd over here isn't going to like it. You can't you know, there's a lot of restrictions and a lot of burdens that come with just the, Jesus, the unwieldy system that yeah. you have. And you've got school unions and teachers and parents and, you know, it's, it's, but I think that's probably true in private schools even as well, probably, that there's, yeah. you know, you know, but I think you're right. I mean, to me, people always say, how do we change things? You know, what, a, how do we do this? And I always say, follow the thread back, right? Pick any any fool who's committed a crime or done something racist or, you know, got himself caught on video beating up somebody because they're gay, whatever, find that person and then follow the thread back all the way back in his life. And where, where does that caustic thinking start? Mm -hmm. Where does that racism or, or, or hate or discriminatory thinking, where does it start? Well, it starts generally in the family. Mm -hmm. It starts with being raised by parents who either aren't paying attention or they're paying attention with the wrong messages, um, or you know, the, whatever the the combination of influences are. But generally, children come into their adult life having been impacted by the messages of either their family, their friends, the people in their schools, and all of that is you know gets baked in by the time they're on the street and ready to start wreaking havoc. And so, education and parental training, all of that is really important. Now, I don't know how you implement it, but <laughs> Somehow the consciousness has to be raised so that people are aware of their own contribution to society at large by simply the way they raise their children. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, know, I don't know how that's not even just duh, because, I mean, think about it. Every single adult we're talking about was a child once who was influenced <laughs> by parents, even Donald Trump. Hard to believe. <laughs> a sweet little boy. But he was a sweet little boy at some point. And somewhere along the line, the messages that got imbued in him, turned him into the person he is today. And that's true of every single person, good or bad. And mm-hmm. so we've got to somehow circumvent, you know, total chaos in, a, in an American culture and society by getting kids early. Like you said, education is a huge, huge, huge component because mm-hmm. a lot of these kids get into public schools without the benefit of a strong family uh, moral center or a, you know, the kind of, what's the word, the... Um, I can't think of the word right now. 
just their code of conduct, their code of belief. Some of them come into schools, and schools become the most important mm-hmm. mentors towards teaching them about empathy yeah. and compassion and really learning about the history of our country in an honest way. And I think if you can start there, um, you're going to hedge your bets. You know, By the time they get older and they're getting all sorts of information that's more caustic and hateful and you know, ego-based and selfish and, and, you know, I I don't know really what the answer is because I think when you talk to people that are incredibly baked in, that's just the phrase that keeps coming to my Mm -hmm. mind where it's just, it's in there. They're not going to change. You know, they think that immigrants are all out to kill us and they think all Muslims are violent and evil and they think all this is all that. It's just these generalities. It's just what, you know, what discrimination and bigotry is all about. Yeah. How do you break through that? They well, to- I do I do think it's kind of that over or or the, the the picture overall in that if we can educate uh if we can like return funding to education, if we can as Democrats push certain narratives and messages about what has benefited this country, no matter who um, right. You know, no matter who it was, whether it was a Republican or a Democrat, um, it, it's going to be a, it would take at least a generation. Um, fortunately, the young people are paying attention now because yes. we, we have a monster in the White House. And so I always say, you know, people are only mo- motivated when they're uncomfortable, when 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 people are comfortable, they just don't pay attention to anything. And I mean, I'm living proof when I was much younger, in my 20s, I was running around not I mean, I granted, a lot of young people are not necessarily paying attention to politics. But I know that if I were, you know, let's say 22, right now, I would be paying attention. Because all right. of this stuff is, is scary. You're seeing abortion bans. You're, you're seeing um, the way that women are being treated. I mean, just the way that Trump stalked Hillary when they were debating. Um, These are the kinds of things that I would always would have paid attention to. Because as I said, you know, as I was growing up, I was always a feminist, even though I wasn't running into a room and announcing, Hey, I'm a feminist. It was just something I was. And, and I always, always wanted to stand up and speak out against what I believe to be injustice. And so, um, you know, I think it's just an overall picture of, you know, it's not going to take any one little thing that we're going to be able to do tomorrow. It's just going to be electing the right people. And those people have to not only through legislation, um, fund, you know, education and and, and all the other things that go along with creating a better and more informed society. But it's it's if we can, you know, if we can bring back the fairness doctrine, although, and the fairness doctrine, which used to be in place, and it was something that if you were a news organization, if you were going to report, um, you know, like the Republican side, you had to report the Democratic side of it. Although the issue now we have is with Fox News is not considered a news or- organization. It's registered as an entertainment organization. Oh, isn't that interesting? So yeah. um, they are able to get away with BSing people and not having to provide um, an alternative point of view. Um, you know, but, but that all said, going back to Trump's taxes, it's interesting because last night I was watching, um, Lawrence, last word with Lawrence O'Donnell and he had this amazing panel. One of them was John, and I hope I say his name right, John Heilman. And John said that he, he really focused on the fact that Hillary Clinton went after Trump for his taxes, for his lack of paying taxes. She questioned everything, why he wasn't releasing them and saying he didn't have as much money. And it really bothered him. It was his Achilles heel. And and Heilman, like said, I hope every 2020 candidate 
pays attention to that and goes after him for his taxes. And I, I absolutely hope that's the case because, you know, he's going to be hurling out these bullshit names, you know, calling Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas. And the, if every sure. single one of them would just come back and, and hit him with his taxes, it's going to drive him mad. And, and yeah. that, that would be, I mean, I don't know how we're going to, to overcome this Trumpism and, and the man himself. But I think that would be part of it. I think part of it is finding his Achilles heel and just finding, you know, getting that soft spot and just keep hitting it with a hammer. Yeah. And then watch I mean, him I, cringe. I, I think, you know, cause everybody has, you know, I, I, I so remember back before the election, I was, I was back in Illinois for a big event and it was the day that the, uh, Billy Baldwin tape came out or oh. was it Billy? No, not Billy Baldwin, a Billy. What's whatever. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, uh, Bush. Was it? Billy, Billy Bush. Billy yeah, Bush. No. Sorry, Billy Baldwin. Um, <laughs> not about the pussy grabbing tape. And yes. I remember I hadn't heard it cause I was in the middle of rehearsing for this thing. My friend rushed up and he went, this is it. Yes. He's done. He's done. That's what and, I I thought. Like, what? and I listened to that and I looked at my friend and I said, he's not done. I just knew it. I knew that there was no way. I thought he was. And, and then you saw all the Republican senators. Oh, I denounce him and I yeah. won't vote Jason Chaffetz. I can't look at my daughter in the face right. and for this guy. And, you know, what did it take? 13 days? I don't know. It wasn't very <laughs> long before all of a sudden, you know, like Jason Chaffetz, who's just the biggest toad in the world, yeah. was like, well, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. And suddenly they're all backtracking. And you knew. It's like there is – that didn't work. There's just been one thing – you know, mm-hmm. the old shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue thing. Right. One of these is going to work. I yeah. said this to my husband the other day. Look at all the people, the very Teflon people like John Gotti or Al Capone or, you know, people in history where – People came after them over and over and over and over and nothing stuck. Nothing took. And then something did. Yeah. Something took. Something's going to take with this guy. And it may be this. It may be the taxes. I don't know. You know. Well, you're giving me hope because, I, you know, I'm fucking paranoid and petrified and terrified and every yeah. adjective that I can come up with to explain why my stomach churns. And I know I'm I'm supposed to be calm and cool. I mean, Bob, my boyfriend is always telling me because I'll say something like, Oh my God, I'm so terrified. And he's like, you can't be terrified. You can't, you know, it's not like I'm curling up in a ball and doing no, nothing. No, Obviously. No. I, I know <laughs> you are so not alone. You know, you are so not alone. I was like, when I was in Chicago this week, you know, it, this, you know, that's always, you get a group of liberals together and, you know, that always turns into a conversation about Trump. And there were several people who just said, I can't talk about it. I can't, yeah. I'm so, I'm so sick. I can't sleep at night. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing is, is that, this is not a small thing, but the biggest thing for me, it isn't so much, it isn't just his corruption and malfeasance and, and, you know, just, just his, his disgusting lack of classes, name calling his diminishing. Oh, he's just, he, he is like letting the worst person in the world sit at your dining room table and having to, eat dinner with him every single day of the week. It isn't just that to me. That's all bad enough. It's the fact that nothing seems to happen mm-hmm. to stop him in his tracks. I am waiting for that. You know, we see Michael Cohen go to prison. We see Paul Manafort go to prison. We see other underlings go to prison. And this guy's still sitting up there tweeting his insults and his his insanity, his his stupidity. And I think that I know that makes me sick. That's Mm -hmm. what makes me sick. It's like watching the, the 
murderer get away with it over yeah. and over and over. And you're just kind of, I mean, I stopped watching House of Cards because I could not stand the fact that this horrible man kept getting away with the worst behavior over yeah. season after season after season. I said, my insides, my psyche needs to see a comeuppance. <laughs> you know, they didn't even give us that, right? They did the, the last season. He's just was dead. It was like, oh, <laughs> shit. So I'm going to see a King Joffrey moment, you know, where he's yeah. writhing on the ground. And I think that's a big part of it is that it seems like this guy is impervious. Yeah. But I don't believe he is. I well, believe like... Yeah. You know, things I referenced, like Capone or Gotti or, right. you know, whoever, something will take him down. Well, do and you think, what do you think about this as far as something taking him down? And 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 this leads me into kind of like a two-pronged question. Um, Nancy Pelosi, impeachment. Mm -hmm. um, she keeps saying things like he's not worth it and we have to depend on the 2020 election. Um, there's a different camp out there. That, like, for instance, there was this interesting thread by Terry Canfield. I love her. She is, let me, let me, let me look up what her bio is because she's, I, I follow her. She's an author and a lawyer at UC Berkeley. Um, she did this whole thread and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but basically she, she was responding to Chris Hayes and she said, um, I assume, let's see, um, okay, she says, I assume you're talking about the article today, Nancy Pelosi saying Trump is taunting the Dems to impeach him. So she says there are really two questions. Why would Trump want to be impeached? And the second question would be, why would Nancy Pelosi say that Trump wants to be impeached? And she basically makes the case for for the fact that she thinks Nancy Pelosi is already moving in that direction because there are investigations everywhere. Right. There, there are impeachable crimes. Um, and then she says... Let's see. She says, a good rule is to ask, what would Putin want? Remember, Putin and Trump's interests are aligned. Putin wants impeachment. Right. The more chaos and spectacle, the better. Pushing Dems before, uh, pushing the Dems before they're ready would make it a better show. So, so she's under the impression that Nancy is waiting for everything to kind of come together, to get all her ducks in the row, so that she's got all these, you know, absolute... Right criminal he was a criminal here he was a criminal there and then right. we can move and in the meantime those impeachment hearings well the hearings the hearings and all of the investigations are are currently going on right right so, so maybe i mean what do you think of this this the two-pronged question is number one do you think nancy pelosi is playing the long game and and the way i would look at it is that she's saying all of this uh you know he's not worth it for Trump's benefit to a oh, keep him, in, yeah, keep him in the dark, and to also goad him, and then also the idea that maybe the turning point would be the impeachment process. I what I think absolutely, Nancy Pelosi's playing the long game. I mean, my gut, my heart wants to be like, let's do it now! You know, <laughs> yeah. Come on, get him in jail! You know yeah. the immature part of me the angry enraged part of me wants somebody to you know go into the white house and drag him out in handcuffs but the mature part of me says you know we have to do this right it's like a good prosecutor knows that regardless of how it all looks to the outside world they have to have as you said all their ducks in a row they have to have enough evidence they have to have verifiable facts they have to have a, a foundation upon which to build a case and 
And I trust Nancy Pelosi because all of her decisions have been pretty spot on. Mm -hmm. And I think that as much as we all want to stamp our feet and and yell and scream about impeachment, I think we have to be smart about it. I think if there's anything we've learned from this criminal, corrupt administration is that they're crafty. Mm -hmm. They're crafty and they have crafty, amoral people working for them who don't give a damn about you know, what's right and what's wrong. And, and, and they've got a base that is lapping it all up like a bunch of, you know, sniveling sycophants. So yeah. it's like, you've, you've got all of that happening. And I honestly believe that Trump would love if impeachment hearings mm-hmm. started. Then just like he did with the Mueller report, he could tweet He's the a victim yeah. a day. Right. I'm being victimized. Presidential. Harassment. Not fair. Hunt, witch hunt you know he could continue to beat that dead horse yeah. about how poor me look at how this 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 harassment and this aggression i'm putting up with i can't even i can't even be president i need <laughs> two more years because they took them away from me you know i mean it's so pathetic it, it's like it, it's sickening but we have to be the grown-ups here and mm-hmm. we have to say as much as we want to throw mud as hard as we can at this guy's head we have to wait and let the people who know a lot more than we do about the inner, you know, the inner machinations that are going on yeah. make their moves. Because, I mean, I think, you know, in any political situation, I remember even when I was, you know, writing political articles during the Obama administration, people would be raging about this or that or this. And I would always say, we're not in the room with them. We don't know the nuances yeah. and the fine points and the underlying information. We're not privy to all of that. So to sit out here like armchair psychologists screeching about what they should do and what they shouldn't do when we don't really have the inside skinny is ridiculous. It's immature and it's stupid. So I feel like Democrats and and all the everything under the umbrella of Democrats has to just continue to do their work, continue to promote the candidates, continue to to be activists, continue to do all their good work, but stop with this, you know, being pissed off because she hasn't yet done the thing we want her to do. I mean, that just ends up sounding to me very, very uh, tantruming and and not useful. And you see a lot of it, on, especially on Twitter, where, you know, people are trying, starting to like rip her up because she's not doing it enough. And, you know, I'm all for impeachment. I've stated that over and over. Let's do it. But let's define it because it's not like, you know, you say, okay, we start the impeachment process, like you said, and it starts with hearings. It starts with investigations. It isn't just a blanket, okay, Mm -hmm. we've begun impeachment. It's not, you know, there's steps that lead up to it and there's steps within it. And all of that has to happen. And it's not, like you said, it is happening. There's all sorts of investigations happening. And, you know, there's immediate gratification that has become a very, very... (laughs) Yeah, well, I do see I do see that value, though, in public demand for impeachment, because I think that's one of the keys that Nancy Pelosi needs is to have. I mean, I I agree with you to not rip her apart. Um, I choose to not rip her apart. But I I do want that message out there that we need to impeach. And I don't I don't care if it's today or, you know, whatever, because, as you said, and I said, it's already kind of happening. And right. and they are Democrats are up against so much because I mean yesterday we learned Don McGahn is is not going to um, show up he's not going to pay attention to the subpoena and he's going to right. he's not going to show up to testify Barra doesn't want to show up to testify X you know X person here and there is going to do the same thing they're trying to um, keep the full Mueller report from coming out so there's going to be all this obstruction and all this fight so 
I do think there is value in, in, in having a public demand. And unfortunately, that's going to mean people don't fully understand the bigger picture. There are people who are going to not fully understand that there are things already happening. But right. if Nancy Pelosi keeps hearing from the public, no, whether they're tearing her down or politely asking her, um, I think it helps her. It helps her move to that in, a, in an easier way, because one of the things that she had said um, you know, prior to the Mueller report coming out was that she needed, I think it was like overwhelming, blah, blah, blah. She did say bipartisan. And I don't know that we're ever going to get bipartisan, no, um, not. you know, demanding. But at the same time, if you've got, whether it's 60% of the country or whatever it is, demanding impeachment, she's going to have to say, well, I have to please the people, uh, you know, exactly. these, these people no, I, let me in. I agree with you. And that's why I have definitely been vocal about supporting impeachment. No yeah. question, you know, but I also know that it takes, it it's takes, a process. Yeah, it's a process that takes time and they have to be really smart about it because as you said, all these people in the Trump administration, just like Stephen Miller are disgusting, but crafty. And, oh, and they're working overtime. Yeah. You know, they're, 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 you know, they're building moats around the White House. I right. mean, it's, 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 you know, they've made this their full time job. They could give a shit about running the country. It's all about packing the courts with right wing judges and building a moat around uh, the Trump administration. I mean, it is so, it is so authoritarian and so not democratic. It's just stunning. I mean, the thing that's stunning to me to go back to my tweet this morning is that it shocks me. It really does shock me that the Republican Party and conservatives and that they are not more unilaterally horrified by this. There are some, right? There's the never Trumpers and there's a few people who've come out and said, I voted for him, but now I hate him. But there's not enough. And it's like, that's why I said, if you did a blind test on this, I honestly, truly believe the majority of the country, including politicians, would go, oh, my God. God, are you kidding me? Yeah. Well, that person should be in prison if you had no idea who it was and no idea what party they were affiliated exactly. with. Exactly. And I really believe that. But unfortunately, the uh, partisan uh, fealty has gotten so toxically divided. You know, and it just cracks me up when when Republicans come out and talk about, you know, it's so partisan now. And it's like, really? <laughs> I know. Hello. You know, <laughs> Even the thing about uh, Barr, what was it? it was the House, the early House vote, it was like right down party lines. It's like, yeah. so they're okay? They're okay with an attorney general that is clearly not ruling in 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 favor of the country. He's not you doing his job for the country, but is in fact doing it for this president. You know, just all they have to do is think about, well, what if what if it changes the next go around? Mm -hmm. How will they feel if a Democratic president has an AG who's doing his bidding? How will they feel? Yeah, they'll if all freak out and they'll scream just like they did when Obama ordered Dijon mustard and wore a tan suit. Right. I mean, you know, they are such yeah, hypocrites. Yeah. It's insane. Don't you fucking think they could think about that for a second and get beyond. There was somebody who said, I don't remember who it was, that it's like the Russian attack on the election. That could have gone the other way. Yeah. And how would we feel if it went the other way? But like Hillary. Hillary basically said, China, if you're listening. Yeah. Of course. And then but they freak out about that. Like like she's actually uh, calling on China. But yeah, what if well, China were to help out Bernie Sanders? Would they uh, would they be happy about that? No. Well, and that's the thing. It's like that's the tunnel vision of it is that, mm -hmm. you know, it's there's no uh civic empathy, right? They can't even see beyond their own narrow view. To even go, oh, wow, yeah, like if that happened to Democrats, damn, that could happen to us, too. And we would hate that. So let's all fight together to make sure that we don't have Putin running our country. 
That should be what's happening. It should That's- be, but it isn't because they see they've lightened on Putin. And, and unfortunately, and this is the doom coming out in me that I think what it is, is it's not even them having tunnel vision. I think they're fully aware of everything. And I think this is this last right now. It is kind of like the last chance grab to um, secure this slow moving coup. And they really they, they cannot deal in reality. They have to deal in propaganda and lies and cheating in order to take control because this is about, you know, Trump is just a pawn. And it's it's the it's the oligarchs, whether it's the oligarchs, the American oligarchs, Russian oligarchs, Saudi Arabian oligarchs. There is uh, the Illuminati. Yeah, there is there is a grab for this country. And I was talking about it with my boyfriend, Bob Seskin, and he he said something like I said what I think would I'm like, what do you think will happen if we lose? What will happen to this country? Because what I see is all these other countries coming in and just basically raping and pillaging us and taking everything that they can. And and Bob Seska described it as um, like it's like the hungry, hungry hippos game. I don't know if you remember that, but it was it was just grabbing all the marbles that you right. can. And, right. and I think that that would be their goal. So it's like it doesn't matter that what happens if a Democrat wins because they're planning on a Democrat not winning. They're, right. they're, they're planning on Russia taking over and then all they see is money, 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 money. And then the, those who have money think they're going to be safe and they won't. Um, and I mean, they're not going to be safe from climate crisis and, and all of that. But of course. I, don't, I just I, I it's all so overwhelming. And it's, you know, I want to kind of switch this over to um, keeping this in the Russians. But I think what's happening and I can't prove it. And I wrote about this yesterday. But I think part of what the Russians are doing this time around um, is they are pushing and exploiting the, the sexism that already exists in this country, specifically with male and female candidates. I and agree. so there, there is that um, narrative that is out there that only a white man can beat Trump. And I, I just like to say that there's many men out there who will say, I've never heard that. So, okay, if you've never heard that, please, please believe us who, who have seen it. it it's a thing. We see it everywhere. In fact, I did. I, I created a tweet, and it's gone viral. It's got almost ten thousand likes on it. So this tells me that I'm not alone. So basically, I say, woman, I'm voting for Elizabeth Warren because of her policies, values, and track work record. Man, you shouldn't vote based on gender. Man, right. I'm voting for Joe Biden. Woman, why? Man, because I think only a white man can beat Trump. And so right. it's like, um, this is the argument that. It's not just women. You know, my mother is friends with a man on on uh, Facebook, and he was talking about why he was supporting. I think it was Elizabeth Warren, and or at least like because it was it's Elizabeth and Kamala are kind of, in my opinion, I have a preference. I prefer Elizabeth, but I love both of them, and I right. kind of flip. One day I'm like, oh wait a minute, maybe Kamala, right. and then right. the other day I'm like, oh wait, it's it's Elizabeth again. But I mean, right. so he expressed his uh, desire to see a woman president, and he was getting slammed by other men on his Facebook page for voting based on gender. And it's so irritating because I think we were talking about this on the show with the author thing that when men say that they're going to vote for a man, they're not piled on. They're not saying, well, you're voting based on penis. Well, exactly, because that's the that's the uh, framework of patriarchy, right? Yeah. It's like 
being a man and, and having male leaders is the norm. So you don't, it's like white privilege, right? It's like, nobody says, oh, you know, a guy walked into the room and, 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 uh, or, or they don't say, you know, he walked into the room, he was white. He walked up to the, you know, but if you say a guy walked into the room, a black man walked into the right. room because that's the, that's the, not the norm. The norm right. is, well, it's the same thing when it comes to gender. It's like, it's like I've had this argument like a thousand times because about three months ago I wrote an article about why we need a female president. And I, I referenced many studies that have been done. It's not just about because I want a woman. Right. You know, it, it isn't a gender. It isn't about as Susan Sarandon said, voting with my vagina has nothing to do with that. It has to do with understanding the evolution of, of cultures, the the sociological aspect of what happens when you limit things to one gender. And the fact of the matter is, is that many studies have been done that show that women excel in leadership over men. They've done they've done tons of studies that show that women are better managers. They have a better emotional palate for handling. You mean they're not hysterical and always on their periods? <laughs> and 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 tweeting three thirty times a day. But I mean, there's all this other this all supporting information about it. It isn't just about I want a woman because we've never had a woman. It'd be swell to have a woman. It's that I honestly and truly and one hundred percent believe that culturally we absolutely need a woman in mm -hmm. in all right now to change the toxic masculinity that has completely taken over this country and especially from the white house down mm -hmm. and we need the female perspective which is different it's more uh it, it takes into account i'm not even going to get into it there's so many anybody <laughs> needs to do is google why women make better managers or yeah. why women are considered better leaders. And if we keep shutting them down, if we keep saying this can't happen, this is some quaint little novelty that we can't have here in America. I honestly believe that Trump is an example of our country going backwards mm -hmm. because we did not take the opportunity to elect the far, 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 far more superior candidate in Hillary Clinton. And we have gone backwards because of that. And we will keep going backwards if we do not change that kind of patriarchal thinking, because it was so bad last time that that America would rather have a fucking criminal fool in the White House than a woman. I mean, think about that. That's insane. Well, now, yes, there there were. Well, Russia I wants that too, right? So. Yeah, I mean, Russia. I think tipped the scales. I, I don't want to diminish <laughs> the amount of voters who actually did vote for Trump, whether they were. Um, like we were saying earlier, the independents or the Obama Democrats who just figured, oh, well, we need we need a change. And so a businessman might be good. But then there was the angry mega crowd, um, yeah. although she did win three million more votes. Yeah, she did. And, 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 and Russia targeted conversation about the Electoral College. Yes, you know? Russia targeted those uh, battleground states. So I think that if we didn't have Russia in play, Hillary Clinton would be the president. But it wouldn't have been as the race would have still been too close. Right. So right. I think there's that. But back to what you were saying, I uh, I just was reminded by Ruth Bader Ginsburg's quote, and she wrote, when I'm sometimes asked when there will be enough women on the Supreme Court, I say when there are nine, people are shocked. But there have been nine men and nobody ever raised a question about that. And I think that's exactly it. That's the normal. We're used right. to seeing men in charge. Mostly it's white men. And um, and when you also, I just want to say, because sometimes people don't understand what toxic masculinity is. They think that it's just this broad way to describe men. And it isn't. It's 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 to toxic masculinity is more about 
the way men are told they have to behave, that they're not allowed to have emotions, that they're not allowed to express their emotions. And if they do, that they're, they're called gay or, or something like that to try to make them feel bad. Um, or they're, they're called weak. And so they choose not to do it. And, and then that stuff builds up and it comes out with all this bullshit bravado that they don't even necessarily feel. Sometimes right. they do. But, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a number of things, toxic masculinity. It's not as simple as I just described. But, no, I, you know, I think that sometimes men, uh, I don't know that men listening to the show would feel defensive because men who listen to the show have listened to, to me go off forever. But um, I do think there are a lot of men out there who, when they hear that term, they feel defensive because they think we're applying it to every man and we're not. Um, no, of course not. And, and, and obviously the men who, uh, to use my word mature with maturity, cause I'm feeling that a lot mm-hmm. men with civic maturity, they understand, they know, they know exactly what you're talking about and they see it in their fellow men. Yeah. You know, cause it's about, you know, looking at all male, female interactions as competitive rather than yeah. Or, or, you know, that men can't understand women and vice versa. You know, it's all these kind of black or white thinking. And the, and the sad part to me, and I have to be honest with you, uh, the sad part to me is that I think very many women are on that ride. Yes. Have not yet evolved to the point where they would jump into this conversation and understand that this isn't about... Uh, we want a woman just right. for the sake of a woman. They, there, there is so much more to it that is so much deeper and more sociologically imperative that it's like it upsets me. I got really, really, really churned up uh, during this Lucy Flores, Joe Biden thing because mm-hmm. I was stunned at how many liberal progressive mm-hmm. women attacked the shit out of her mm-hmm. and went mm-hmm. on and on about poor Joe and the Me Too movement has mm-hmm. gone haywire mm-hmm. and, and it's he never, you know, without understanding that the Me Too movement isn't just about sexual aggression, it's about body autonomy. It's about a woman saying, I get to decide who touches me, when, where, how, and and that can change from minute to minute. It, it There were so many elements of that conversation and I still see them. I still see mm-hmm. them being said. And then it's going, yeah, well we have this predator in the white house and you were bitching. Yeah, about. that's the point. And it's like, really? So that's the litmus test. So mm-hmm. we don't, we, we don't look at anything less than that and say someone like Lucy Flores, I don't know Lucy Flores from Adam. I don't know her at all. I don't, you know, and the whole that she worked for Bernie in 2016, none of that mattered to me. It's mm-hmm. like, so we're going to be okay with Christine Blasey Ford because she right. spoke up against a guy we exactly. don't like. That's, that's the but, bottom line. If it were, if Mitch McConnell uh, right. was accused of the same things, all the liberals oh, would have been God. on the side of the woman. Right. But it was like suddenly it became a completely different conversation. And I went, and this is why we do not have a female president, because Mm -hmm. there are still far too many women who Mm -hmm. are not looking at, like you said, the bigger picture of all of this. It takes it takes a willingness to really go deep. And I just think that a lot of people don't want to. They want to they want to stick to the, you know, it is maturity, because I think the way that I saw the Lucy Flores thing was. Um, I did think that it was a political hit job, but but I, I just wanted to move on from that because I think two things can be true at the same th- time. You can, you can have the political hit job where she wants to discredit him, um, but at well, the but same time... Honest, the Christine Blasey Ford thing was a political hit job. The guy was up for to right. be... Well, but that's, but the, yeah, and the point is, is that, okay, fine. Lucy Flores may have been doing what she, saying what she said when she said it because she wanted to discredit Joe Biden. But 
regardless of whether or not that's the truth. What I wanted to do was pull the conversation away from Biden and bring it into regular workplace situations. And and still liberals would argue and say, oh, well, that's the way it was. OK, fine. It was it's not to say that it was OK then. People just accepted it because there were there was no language there. There might have been the knowledge about it, but people didn't feel comfortable bringing that up because you risk losing your job or you risk something when you go against your male superior. It, it's not like it's just so fucking easy that you can run to human services or whatever and say, oh, this man touched me inappropriately because he grabbed my shoulders. A lot of people are just going to roll their eyes at you and go deal with it. And it's like, why should you? Because I also think that the same thing can happen to men. You can have um, scenarios in the workplace where there are women who don't really understand personal boundaries. It doesn't mean they're bad people. It doesn't mean they're sexual predators. It just means that they're too touchy feely and they get in your space and they shouldn't and it makes you feel uncomfortable. And I think when you're in a workplace situation, there should just be basic rules, you know, where you don't go up behind someone, put your hands on their shoulders, sniff their hair and kiss their head. That goes too far. Well, and and that's the thing. And it's like, I, I, you know, I said to a friend this weekend in Chicago, we got into a rather heated debate on this topic. And he's a very liberal, very progressive guy. But he was saying, you know, men are afraid now. They don't know how to. (sighs) Good. Don't touch me. And and I just said, well, women have been afraid for a much longer time. And the reality is, is that whenever you have a cultural revolution or a cultural evolution, there's pendulum swings and they Mm -hmm. swing hard sometimes, you know, and, and right now we're in a hard swing on this issue. And so to me, I personally felt like Lucy Flores was akin to Christine Blasey for where Mm -hmm. she sees a guy who's going to be stepping into a major, major position, a high profile position. And she thinks to herself, ah, but he does this thing and that's Mm -hmm. not cool and we got to get this out in the open, just like Christine Blasey Ford did. Well, those are hard swings. And Mm -hmm. you can say, well, why didn't they talk about it then? The bottom line is this is part of this evolutionary process and it's going to be uncomfortable for a while because this friend of mine said, how does the guy know now whether he can shake a woman's hand or, and I went, I don't know. They got to figure it out. They got to ask. They got (laughs) to ascertain. They got to do whatever the hell they got to do. And and, and he felt like, well, women need to educate men. I said, nope, men need to figure it out because- to figure it out. I think there's some some obvious things, though. I mean, when you're in the work, because I had the same conversation with a liberal man. And oh, my God, I don't you can't touch anybody. You can't do anything. And it's like, you know, what? it's not about that. When you're in a when you're in a professional situation, what is acceptable? Shaking hands is acceptable. What would a man go up to another man? And the, the question, I guess, with Joe Biden is, yes, would a man go up to another man and put his hands on their shoulders and, and, and nuzzle into their ear? Well, there is a picture of Joe Biden doing this to Al Franken. It's just raw. The look on Al Franken's face was like, oh, my God, get away from me. And I don't know if that was really what he was feeling. I don't know right. if, the, if that photo was taken just at a moment where he happened to look that particular way, but that wasn't what he was feeling. But the bottom line is, is most times in a work situation, you shouldn't be intimately touching the people you're working with. You can, if you have a question, you can tap their shoulder. That's totally appropriate. That's, you know, and if you're going to have some woman screaming because you tapped a shoulder, well, then you're going to have to take that up with whatever, you know, human, you know, there are a lot of women and I've met and known some of them and worked with some of them who are hypersensitive about this issue in a way that borders on neurosis. Yeah. You know, and and I've worked with some of them and they can be terrifying. And so I get it. There are a few women like that. But as I said to my friend, they're a small, they're a small small. part of what the the average woman has dealt with, all of which, you know, 
most of us of any age have experienced. And the thing that so many women got into these heated battles about, about, well, we women have to be, I mean, why are we so wimpy that we don't just step up and stand it's up for ourselves? You know what? In a perfect world, like you were just saying, you would you would go to H. You would do whatever. But we don't live in a perfect world. We live in a world where even today, you know, because I said to my husband, I said, picture picture me in exactly the position Lucy Flores was in. Right. I'm standing off stage. I'm going on for some event. And my boss comes up behind me, puts his hands on my shoulders, leans into me and starts nuzzling the back of my head. I said, how would that feel? to?" He said, I think that would be utterly inappropriate. And I said, so I'm going on stage. I don't want to make a big thing. Even if I pull away from him, it implies something creepy. And so I don't do it. And so then, you know. I let things go. And, and so I was saying to this woman who was just raging at me about it. And I just said, I get it. I've been her. I've been in that position before. And it's an awkward, uncomfortable mm-hmm. moment. And you're not sure what to do. I was younger. I wasn't as outspoken as I am now. And, and you're awkward. It's awkward. And so you don't say anything. But if I saw that guy and he was going to be, you know, leading some big thing, I might say something about it now. Right. Yeah. It's like, and I think that's what happened there. But the point is, this is going to be uncomfortable for a while. It might be uncomfortable for decades. I don't know. It's kind of like with the racial situation, you know, because given the subject of my book, I've had so many conversations about how do you be a good ally? How do you, you know, now I'm so worried about what to say or do. And it's like, yeah, I'm sorry. It's tough. But if you want to be a part of changing the narrative, just toughen up and 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 figure it out make mistakes yeah, but stop, stop acting like everything's so unfair like trump is and and you know bill maher pushes that whole don't go too far with me too because they're yeah. the, you know i mean he, he he explains me too and he lost me because i i mean i always knew he was arrogant i didn't always agree with everything he said right. but I, I i definitely think the man is smart and and i do agree with most of the things he says but as he was pushing this don't go too far with me too and mansplaining me too it was pissing me off because i think we all understand there are shades you know i mean there's 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 accusing someone of rape and then there's what joe biden did and they're absolutely very different things but that doesn't mean that what joe biden does is acceptable especially because some people don't mind there are people who don't they're very touchy-feely themselves and they don't mind it Exactly. And that's that thing where women will say, well, that Joe Biden could come up and nuzzle my neck anytime. And like, well, then good, because it's all about consent. That's the whole thing. It's all about consent. If you want Joe Biden to nuzzle your neck (laughs) and Trump to grab your pussy, go for it. Feel free. Not every woman. Don't make. Yeah. Don't make that assumption for me, because I'm the one who's going to decide what makes me feel comfortable. And frankly, you know, uh, one of the other complaints that I saw out of that was, um, you know, well, then how can you even be friendly with people you work with? And it's like I've had lots of jobs and never once. I mean, I've had inappropriate situations happen, but never once did a man uh, touch me in that way. And never once did, or even a woman, and never once did I do that to a woman. And I had plenty of positive relationships with coworkers. It didn't destroy everything because we weren't hugging and kissing all the time. I mean, it was like, you know, it was just, it was something that I, I never even thought to do. I mean, it's different when you get to know a coworker and you become their friend. Right. That's a different situation. But when it's just somebody that you're working with and you see, you know, maybe you see them on a daily basis, but you're not intimate with them. You're not a friend with them. I think it's like, for me, it's an automatic thing that I'm not going to be touching them in a way that's affectionate. 
I will touch them in a work appropriate way. Again, shaking their hand, tapping them on the shoulder, but, but not embracing them and, and, right. and nuzzling them because that, you know, and it's like, I, I it's like you said, I, it, it infuriated me because people were making so many excuses just because they thought she, you know, I, I said this too. They accused her of lying. That isn't for them or for me or anybody else to decide. If we're going to, I don't like to say trust women because obviously there's going to be, especially in politics, um, there are always going to be political operatives that hire people to lie. And so we can't just automatically trust everybody. But what we do or what we should do is listen and give them, you know, take them seriously. Right. Don't write them off. Approach it with neutrality. Listen, take them seriously, gather information. And by neutrality, that's applied to both right. the accused and the accuser. Because, you know, the difference, I mean, watching liberal women and men carrying on about, you know, Christine Blasey Ford, you know, for her and, you know, wanting her to win and hating Brett Kavanaugh and then watching the difference with Joe Biden mm-hmm. and, and going, oh, I see. So so we pick and choose where, mm-hmm. you know, we, we support. We pick and choose. As long as the accused is somebody we don't like, we're all for it. Mm-hmm. And if it's somebody we do like, then we attack the woman. And, you know, I was waiting for them to start talking about her wearing skirts too short or, <laughs> you know, showing her clean, you know, the things, you know, I it was like, oh, I see. So we, we, we were going to do that. We're going to run the whole gamut of stereotypes types on this because gosh joe biden's a swell guy and i had good close friends uh taking that stance yeah, and so did i so did i i had family members and it, it's very upsetting although i was able to convince one of my family members um by just you know who was married it was a man and both of them the couple were arguing with me and i and i said okay let me just put this situation to you where you guys are at a, a workplace, you know, awards ceremony and um, a man that let's just call her Jane is working with that Jane doesn't really like very much comes up and does all that. And then afterwards comes to you, the husband Joe and says, Oh, you know, this guy, Adam came up and he, he hugged me. And he, how do you feel about that, Joe? When, when your wife is telling you right. he made her uncomfortable, are you okay? Are you going to tell her, oh, get over it? Of course not. Of right. course you're not. You're going to take, right. you're going to listen to what your wife is saying and you're going to take her side because you understand that this man has made her feel uncomfortable. And right. again, you can, you can, it doesn't matter the gender. You know, there are women and it's like, do I think that Joe Biden is some sexual predator? Of course not. I think that he just he's a guy who's touchy feely. And, you know, I I do understand that he comes from this um, time where it's like the hands on candidate. I think he went too far with it. But do I think he's a sexual predator? Absolutely not. I just think he's tone deaf to all of it. Uh, and 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 I think that the mistake was was the people doing this very black and white thing yeah, of saying yeah. he's not a sexual. Oh, how horrible that anyone would even put him in that category. And it was like no one's putting him in that category. No. Not even of, not even Lucy Flores put him in that. No, category. and a lot of people came out and they were slamming the Me Too movement. And I was so glad. And I shared this article with a particular woman who was being very uh, angry about it. The Toronto Burke came out and wrote her own article on HuffPost saying the Me Too movement isn't just about rape and sexual assault. Mm-hmm. It's about bodily autonomy. And mm-hmm. I loved that phrase. And I've used it many times since I read that article because I thought that's exactly what it is. It's saying it's not even picking which gender. It's saying bodily autonomy. We get to decide. Any Every single human gets to decide 
what happens to their body, who mm-hmm. touches it, when, how, who gets to, who doesn't, and maybe who doesn't today is okay tomorrow or vice versa. And I think that was, I was really glad that she came out and said that because I hate when I see, you know, people taking that very important movement and twisting it into like, well, now it's gone too far. It's just gone too far. You know, yeah, it's like, and I, th- I think again, this, this goes back to the idea that Russian trolls are um, oh, yeah. y- using what's already existing in our society and exploiting it in order to sow division. And, you know, going back to the idea that that there's this narrative that only white men can win, um, I I just want to say that, you know, I I hear the argument that people say, oh, well, the reason I say that is not because I'm a sexist, it's because I think other people are sexist, and I'm just observing that. And so my take on that is, A, well, if you embrace it, then you're going to employ a self-fulfilling prophecy. Exactly. And well, then, and, and then so, you're also letting you're also um, letting the Russians control the narrative, right? In a much more subliminal way, perhaps. Yes. But I, mean, I think that it's like if you get into well, the most important. This has been said to me over and over. Well, the most important thing is that we get Trump out. And I, as much as I'd love to have a woman be a president, yes, I, we can't risk that. We cannot risk. Oh, it's that. a big, such big fucking risk. And I think to myself, how do we? I mean. How do we know that a that a woman say Kamala Harris because I'm I'm supporting Kamala Harris at this point? How do we know that the fact that this brilliant, uh, qualified, smart, aggressive black woman isn't going to be the exact right antidote exactly. to Trump? That, yeah, that people might go, oh, do we really need another old white guy, or do we really need another white guy who's not even old? But do we really need that to to uh, detoxify the white house maybe there's a whole other way to go about this mm-hmm. you know and and we've got time to uh promote and market and and campaign on the idea that it doesn't have to be a white guy yeah you know i mean i agree that the priority is getting trump out of office because i think if trump maintains his office this country is in for a a catastrophic mm-hmm. i don't even want to say i know uh, i know i mean yes if we get down to the wire and it looks like Holy fuck, there's no way, you know, Elizabeth Warren or Kamala Harris is going to beat this guy. You know, I might switch gears. But at this point, I'm saying, no, we've Mm -hmm. got to change the narrative. And you change the narrative by it's like marketing, right? How many times do you say this is the best movie of the year? This is the best movie of the year. This is the best. And pretty people are like, wow, that's probably the best movie of the year. You know, and I think that's if we start changing that dialogue, if we start demanding a different narrative, unfortunately, you know, and this uh, the media is complicit in this. And that's, you know, I like many of the things you've said and we both have done things of saying I'm not going to share one article about the the latest great hot male guy who's coming out to be present because they're getting enough. They're getting enough of that. Yeah. It's important for those of us who believe in changing this narrative to support and share and, and try to pump up the attention on, you know, what we're trying to push or what we're trying to change. And well, yeah. And I noticed today, like um, I'm going to, there was an article that came out um, that Elizabeth Warren had accepted $2,500 in donations from a prominent family member of one of the nation's top opioid manufacturers. Yeah. So Elizabeth Warren is is donating that money. Once it was pointed out to her, she decided, I'm going to donate that money. So I tweeted that out, and it, it got like seven likes and nothing else. And so then I wrote, please, you know, I quote tweeted, and I said, please share the tweet below or post it yourself. Keep 2020 women in the conversation. They are remarkable. And the more they're discussed, the higher they'll poll. And so, you know, I think 
I think people see there's another article that came out about Kamala Harris. What has um, raised a huge amount of money in minority neighborhoods and more so than anybody else. And so you post these kinds of articles and they seem dull and dry because we're so used to being angry and outraged at everything we see. We have right. knee jerk reactions and, Oh no, you didn't say that. And so when you see a qualified, capable, effective woman or just candidate who's doing something that's you know okay impressive but not something that gives you any you go right by it so i would really love for people to um push up what they're doing and you know promote it on social media talk about it with your friends because these ideas that white that a white male is only going to win literally goes to the kitchen table and I, i just want to kind of end on this um this note that I was in the grocery store the other day and there's this woman that I I always spark up relationships with people at the grocery store. I'm there all the time. And there's this one woman that is just, I love her so much. I think she's about my age and I always tell everybody that I'm a writer and I'm a feminist and this and that. So when we see each other, I think there's this like genuine excitement because we just really like each other. So I asked her, you know, are you following the election and, and who's your pick? Yes, I am. And it's Joe Biden. Why is it Joe Biden? Because I think that, he is going to be the one to beat Trump. Why do you think that? Because he's a white man. Oh. And and so I said, well, you know what? I'm on online online all day saying exactly the opposite of what you're saying. And here's why. And I only had like a minute because we were at the grocery store <laughs> and I didn't want to completely go crazy on her. But I, you know, I said to her, I said that there are a lot of qualified women and this woman is an African-American. And I said, you know, we've got an African-American in the race, but we also have three other really viable women, although I think it's two. I think it's Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris are the two viable candidates at this point. And I, and I said, and, you know, they're effective and capable. And I said, don't, don't dismiss them because the narrative that you're hearing is that only a white man can win. And, um, you know, and she, you know, she listened to me and I don't know if I convinced her or changed her mind or anything, but I just wanted to throw it out there to her because I think the only thing that she's been hearing is that only a white man can win. And as a, as an African American woman who works two jobs and I can't imagine what life for her is like, what she encounters every day in a Trump world. I think obviously she wants this president out and and what her decision is based on is fear she's afraid like we all are that we're going to get four more years of trump which which seems like it would just be the end of america and so it's like jesus christ anything but trump throw in the white guy i'll take him i don't care who he is i don't care what he's voted on before but this is who we think is going to win because this is what's fed to us by by these. I do think it's Russian trolls because they did it with they've done it with black voters. They've they've put in, uh, you know, there are legitimate black activists out there who have a specific message. Then there are fake Russian black right. activists who are muddying that message. BuzzFeed did a story on it. And right. so it, it's 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 and I think the same thing is happening with with the female candidates and you know there's this woman on twitter michelle guido i think she goes by hey guido she's a feminist with a big mouth just like me she wrote every time i say male resistors are saying anti-woman things to me and i'm uh, i'm told they're bots if you've been paying attention multiple established resistors this past month have attacked me uh, attacked me too. pretending misogyny isn't alive on this side. And it, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm reading it too fast. Pretending misogyny isn't alive on this side keeps it alive. And that's the truth. And it's this, it, this can be applied 
to uh, the the race because we do have a form of sexism and misogyny, and it's it's being um, stirred and 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 propelled by fear. Right. I think we need to stop worrying about who's going to beat Trump and start focusing on who's going to be the best president. Let the debates play out. Let that candidate emerge. Whoever it's going to be who's on top, they're going to become the nominee. And then in 2020, we all, no matter what we think of that candidate, we vote for them. That's, that's right. That's the person who's going to beat Trump. Or I should say, it's we the people who will beat Trump. It's not one person per se. It's, exactly. it's all of us. And it just it well, and and I crazy. Keep, it, and I keep referring back to the fact of look at what happened at the midterms. When yes. despair and despondency descend, I always say, look at the midterms. Not only did we win the House back, but a lot of really unexpected things happened. Unexpected people mm-hmm. won. Yeah. More yeah. women won. This is what happens when we, we, we really work hard, focus hard, stay active, reach out, write postcards, make phone calls, whatever the hell it is. We have to remember, we, you know, I think we're so bombarded with the lack of success against Trump that we forget that we had a really big success in 2018. Yeah, and I think that was it was based on two things. Number one, Trump. Number two, Democrats, um, you know, talked about Main Street issues. Right. So and rallied each other. And didn't, yes. you know, and I think that same thing, you know, I think, you know, when you, when you look at the fact that there's like, what, 800 candidates running right now, <laughs> I, I think there it's just natural for everybody to be kind of like going, what's happening? There's yeah. so many people who knows. Fine. You know, we'll go through this process and everybody will vet and read or not. Shake out. Yeah. You know, and it will shake out, and at some point, it'll it'll get honed down to fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer people, and there will be a group standing at the end that we will watch in debates and watch campaign, and and I you said it very well, and I totally agree with you. Then we we all just get as active and as passionate and as positive and as productive as we can possibly be. And, you know, it's like I'm very active on social media, just like you, and I pay a lot of attention to the people that jump on my threads and and what they're saying and who they are. I check their profiles, and I'll be flat out with them and say, uh, just the other day, a guy got on, I said, you have no picture, you have no yeah. and you've got like three followers. I said, I don't know if you're a bot, but if you're not a bot, I would suggest you 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 change your presentation yeah, because I'm yeah. not going to engage with you until you do. And I think if everybody starts doing that, and not just with people that don't, because some bots put their profiles together. Yeah. Pay attention to what's being said. Pay, go look in what else they've said and mm-hmm. see. You know, you got to do a little more due diligence. You know, it's like don't share articles that that suddenly appear and they're from media sources that you've never heard of and they're saying something really controversial. I see it all the time mm-hmm. on, on social media. Don't share. Be be very cautious about what you share, who you engage with, who you allow into the conversation. Yeah, because it is an, it's basically what they're doing and what they did in 2016 is hoping for a knee-jerk reaction, getting you to react immediately. And so if you are going to share a, a blog uh, from someone that you've never seen before, my advice is always go into that blog, read the whole thing, because a lot of times people share based on a headline alone. Read the whole thing and then check the sources. Right. The sources are always a different color and you can click on them. Sometimes people don't even know that they exist, but you click on those sources in the article to back up whatever it's saying. If you've got an independent blog, whether you've heard of it or not, 
Um, because there, there is, um, and I'm not going to go into saying who it is, but there's a couple of blogs out there that are widely popular and they're not always on the up and up. So, right. you know, they, they like to frame an argument to suit their agenda. They might use a piece of factual information, but their opinion is what they're pushing. And so right. it's like, check the facts and, and, and to ask yourself, do you agree with this? Are you just allowing either fear or emotion to decide how you're feeling about this? Be a little bit more practical and pragmatic when you're, you know, like you're saying, when you're sharing things, be careful. Right. And because bots and, and, and pros and propaganda people, they know how to tap into your confirmation bias, mm -hmm. right? Like they know how they know where you're leaning and because they look, they look at your thread. I mean, when people jump on your thread and you've never seen them before, never heard them before, Odds are good they've looked at your and gone, oh, she's this is what her agenda is. Okay, so now I'm going to go there, and that's just as toxic as people that come on to disagree with you. It's like just just all of us have to be more responsible because the gullible people really got suckered in the yeah. last time around, and it and it is the gullible people because uh, you know bots only are as successful as the people listening to them are gullible. Right, exactly. You know? If you if you already know what your opinions are and you are relying on reliable sources, nobody should be able to uh, creep in with some disinformation or propaganda. Exactly. You should be to that. So just just be smart. Pay attention. <laughs> be smart. And on that note, we're going to wrap up today's show. But I do want to remind everybody that we're going to Lorraine is going to stay on. We're going to do end another thing. One of the subjects that we're going to discuss discuss is how men handled the second wave of feminism. Um, I'm also going to share some private stuff that I've, I've shared on the podcast before, but it's about a, a family member. Anyway, um, I just want to remind everybody, Stephanie is going to be back next week. And uh, Lorraine, why don't you tell people where they can find you on Twitter and, and your websites, etc.? Yeah, the website is just my name, LorraineDevonWilkie.com. Twitter is Lorraine D. Wilkie, W-I-L-K-E. Love to have you, you know, check it out. You can find links to my books and all that stuff. You Perfect. I'm good. Yeah, I'll be putting the link in the description of this Patreon show. And then don't forget to follow Steph, who, as I said, will be back next week at Lady Brain Show. And I'm author Kimberly on Twitter, which is the extra E, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. Um, and we always love when you guys comment and we want to hear it. Whether or not you disagree with us doesn't matter. We want to hear it. So please comment. And thank you for listening. And then we will see you all next week. All right. Thanks, Kimberly. Okay, take, take care. Bye-bye.